This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening today. Hello and welcome to Give and Tote Cannabis Conversations, the show that aims to elevate the conversation about cannabis to a higher level. I'm your host, Paul, and on today's show, we're joined by Adrian Roach, who is an international touring sound engineer born in Belfast, Northern Ireland, and currently based in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Adrian is my former housemate, and as somebody I spent much of my 20s with, we often pondered what a life with legal cannabis would look like. Adrian visited me when I lived in Canada and thoroughly enjoyed some premium BC bud, and paired with his vast amount of international travel, is now living in what has long been considered the world's weed capital. Today's conversation is a chance for us to catch up and discuss what Amsterdam is really like for cannabis users, what's going on in Europe, and so much more. If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to listen to another episode, tell a friend, or leave us a five-star rating on your podcast platform of choice. But for now, please enjoy my conversation with Adrian Roach. Well, welcome to the show, the man who in 2014 got me to stop mixing tobacco with cannabis. It is truly a disgusting habit, but was very, very normal to me at the time and is still very much a done thing here in Melbourne. Did you have the mix back home? Uh, back home in Ireland, no, definitely not a thing called the mix because we grew up with only hash when I first started when I was like 15. And like, I remember when weed started coming into the country, like I've got memories sitting once with my friend with like, we had some weed and a little bit of tobacco had gotten into it. So we sat with a pair of tweezers and picked all the tobacco out <laughs> of the weed. <laughs> and I was like, wow, it's so disgraceful. And even if we rolled a, a grass joint, we'd be like the smallest amount of tobacco impossible because we thought we had to put it in to keep it burning. And then, yeah, I moved to Australia and it was just like going to someone's house and like, oh, we'll chop out a bowl and looking into it and seeing like two little green little things amongst just a cigarette chopped up, really. It was uh, pretty, pretty disheartening. So it was, that's for sure. The ratio is actually the grossest thing about it because I absolutely, the first time I ever had cannabis as a teen, right through my 20s, you know, I smoked cigarettes for a very, very brief period of time because I thought I was cool. But even after, I still continue to mix it with my cannabis, not thinking about the fact, hey, I'm still consuming nicotine, I'm still smoking tobacco. When you ask people, there's kind of two schools of thought. The first one is it's harsh and disgusting when it's green, which I can't relate to at all. And the second one, which I do kind of understand, is an economical thing. The belief that like I'm making it go for longer because it's an illegal drug, so it's harder to get. So if I mix it with this tobacco, it's going to last me twice as long. But as you mentioned, those ratios are pretty gross. You know, we're seeing 70% tobacco, 30% green if you're lucky. And I've found that in Australia, I'm the odd one out. Like if I have a green joint, people are like, oh, no, oh, no thanks. Whereas the tobacco joint goes around and there's eight people smoking it. Yeah, no, some people, I think a lot of people just have like a little bit of an inbuilt addiction to nicotine from smoking joints and they don't realize it too but like that was always the biggest argument in australia it was like oh it costs so much to smoke australia like i can't afford and do it like but the more i've like, the more i've smoked and the more i've realized that like just a little bit of pure green can actually have a lot more of an effect kind of thing you don't get that like sickness like I think a lot of people get like the head rush and stuff from the nicotine which is just like especially people at a party smoking a joint probably for their first every time it's going to be the tobacco that's going to fuck them up more than anything there is that confirmation bias where it's just like, oh yeah, you know, I I need this in there because it makes it last longer, but you hit the nail on the head. One green joint can go a lot further 
than five joints mixed with tobacco because you might not actually be getting the cannabis hit you want and you're just doing that routine because you need the nicotine. So you might by the end of the day have smoked 10 tobacco mixed joints compared to two green joints. And that's the big difference. And it's like some of the older people too that I worked with in the industry, like especially in Australia, they their mixes was wild. It was like, you know, 90% cigarette in there. It was pretty yeah. brutal. <laughs> I was like, what's the point in smoking this? It was very refreshing when I was in Canada one time a guy passed me a joint with tobacco in it and he gave me the heads up. He's like, oh yeah, just let you know there's tobacco in it. And I was like, oh, no thanks. Yeah. Whereas in Australia, I have to let people know it's green. Just letting you know it's green. Ugh. Yeah, I'm the exact same. So, I always have to open with that sentence I handed this on. I'm just like, I'm just going to let you know it's this green because I've had quite a few people whitey on me on work giving them a joint. <laughs> well, I actually still remember the day where you kind of, confronted isn't the right word because that sounds aggressive, but you really just genuinely asked me, you're like, why do you mix with tobacco? And I didn't have a reason, particularly being six, seven years removed from smoking cigarettes. I'm still going to a shop. I'm still buying a pouch of tobacco, which was already becoming prohibitively expensive and is out of control now here in Australia. But I didn't have a good answer. It was just a force of habit. And as we were sharing this joint in our backyard, I had to come to the realization that there was actually no good reason for me to be doing that. And I still remember that day because I then, from then on, made a conscious decision not to mix it. I weaned off pretty quickly and I found that my habit really changed. Instead of that desperate desire at the end of the day to have a big joint because work sucked, I could get home, relax, prepare dinner, do a few things, be at ease before I even had that joint because I was no longer craving that nicotine rush. Yeah, makes quite a difference that does. I'm definitely uh, grateful for your influence there. So on that note, you know, you've moved to Amsterdam in the last couple of years. I spent a couple of years in Canada. You came and visited. We've been part of each other's cannabis journey for quite some time here and we've gone off and done our other things and compared notes. So what are you seeing in Amsterdam? I mean, let's even start with this. I see in certain stores, they sell the mixed tobacco joints. So you come from somewhere where you didn't really do it. And now you're living somewhere where that is actually part of the menu. Well, it's interesting because growing up in Ireland, like, you know, Amsterdam was always this kind of like a mecca of weed. You could almost say, you know what I mean? Like to go there and be there was like a mad thing. And it was all like, you know, I was, I've been that tourist to my first time here. You know, I came here when I was 18 years old and remember like getting to the hotel and being like, oh, I'm going to be a, like a sophisticated adult today. I'm going to go out and smoke through a bong and going out, <laughs> <laughs> walking out of the hotel. This is pre-smartphones and being like, oh, there's a McDonald's and a Burger King in front of me. And like being like, oh, that's my, you know, landmark to get back to the hotel and just went off on this mission and actually was trying to find somewhere where I could just buy some pure ass and had a bong. And people weren't smoking tobacco inside. Got really stoned and walked out of the shop and was like, oh, I have no idea where the hotel is. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of McDonald's and Burger Kings next to each other in Amsterdam. So like, I spent four hours walking around trying to get find my hotel. But that was kind of my first like experience of it and just diving in really deep and i remember coming here and like you know getting some of the pre-roll joints and smoking them and just being like oh there's so much tobacco in here it's just not really that enjoyable but that was back at the time where you didn't really buy um like you didn't mix in ireland so no one really ever did it so yeah i remember having like the first day having some pre-roll joints with tobacco and then like just canning it off for the rest of the trip being here and now because of the smoking laws like you can't smoke inside premises you can only smoke weed inside some of the restaurants the cafe sorry so they've got little bowls of like sort of hemp mix you can use to roll with the joints so that's kind of that's kind of cool so it is it's definitely taken the edge of that there but i've got a couple of pre-rolls since i've been here because a lot of the stores do like gimmicks you know like you buy a certain amount and they'll give you something for free 
And a couple of times I've asked for just like the pure grass joints, but they mix them all in the one bowl and you can instantly taste the tobacco in there. Like just a little bit of it in there, but it is definitely rife in there. So it is a big thing. But I think that relays a lot to a lot of people having a bad first experience here though, getting drunk and then trying to join and not realizing that it's like 60% tobacco in there and just some sort of really cheap ass bud they didn't want to sell in the store anymore. And then next thing you know, you throw it up in the street corners. You can definitely see why Amsterdam and the Netherlands are making pushes to reduce the impact of drug tourism, to reduce the access of, of drugs to tourists because people do come and treat Amsterdam like a rental car. You know, they fly in for the weekend, they throw up everywhere, they treat the place like shit, trash it, go home, leaving the locals to deal with it. And I think that's one of the unfortunate things. You know, you mentioned Amsterdam was looked at as like the weed mecca growing up. You know, you watch the American movies and all that kind of stuff, but there was just this pull to Amsterdam. But what I'm starting to notice is as Canada has federally legalized, as the States continues to expand its operations, as other countries around the world are looking at this, the Netherlands and Amsterdam have kind of been left behind. The model that's there is a little bit old school. You know, you mentioned the joints being low quality. You know, that doesn't fly in Canada or the US. That has to be really high quality premium bud. Whereas in a place like Amsterdam, that might be the shittest weed they've got left over getting thrown into that joint. So what is going on in Amsterdam? Like when you walk out of the house, what are you seeing? What is the cannabis scene in Amsterdam these days? Well, I always look at it as like two separate scenes, realistically. There's the, the center of Amsterdam is just three canals that make up for it. And that's kind of where all the tourists and stuff are. And in there, it's like, you know, you can step off the train in Central and you'll see the first coffee shop you walk past. There's some guy sitting inside looking after seven suitcases while all of his friends are inside buying weed at like four times the price that they're going to get it anywhere else in the city. And those first cafes absolutely lap it up because they know it's going to happen. And then outside of it more where I live in the local area, there are still lots of coffee shops, but they're a lot smaller. And a lot of the locals smoke hash more than anything because it's been here for a lot longer. So it has. So that's kind of more of a thing out this neck of the woods. You see like some locals smoking it every now and then, but the majority of it would be in the center of the city kind of thing like that there. And then like further out, you know, a lot of restrictions about the laws and stuff and advertising. So lots of the places you wouldn't even notice they were there. They just kind of happen to be tucked off on a little corner out of the way sort of thing. But the quality and the ranges of what they can sell have definitely been limited over the years through all the different like sort of steps they've taken with the rules and stuff like that there they've changed it quite a bit and it's kind of that is part of the being a decriminalized situation you're still open to such you know drastic changes by the laws and because it's still technically illegal everyone kind of jumps on a bandwagon when they push it a bit so you know there's definitely like at a big push to try and get rid of tourists from smoking weed here same with like you could say with the red light district but the thing what all the locals all say is what's the next solution because they haven't got anything because it's not just going to stop for tourists coming here so they're kind of almost got their hands tied a little bit and, you know, that's why they're kind of falling behind on it a little bit. They're kind of just like it's in a nice, happy medium and they don't want to add anything else. They don't want to change anything else, but they want to change it, but they've got no idea how to change it. So it's quite an interesting situation. That is an interesting situation. And I am a little bit of a, not a critic of decriminalization, but I don't think it's the answer to what people are looking for. People that already exist in a cannabis culture, wherever they are around the world, often look to decriminalization because it gets to remain their thing. You know, it's still not legal. It's accessible. You know, you might get to grow at home. You might be able to get the thing, but there are still all these barriers to it. And a lot of people are protective of cannabis and like that. 
But if we are going to get to this stage where cannabis is understood by as many people as possible, is accessible to as many people as possible, maybe has a bit more of a therapeutic and wellness element rather than this recreational fun touristy thing, that's when we'll start to see a lot more legitimacy and destigmatization. And I don't think that despite the Netherlands being incredibly progressive about cannabis, I don't think the situation there really normalizes it for anyone. It remains this place that people go to, to you know, oh, go check out the red light district, go have an edible and fucking lose your mind in a park. It hasn't got that kind of banal appeal that, you know, that's what I'm seeing in Canada. In Canada, cannabis isn't that special. You know, the stores are beautiful and the products are great, but really it's pretty plain packaged. It's a pretty general, you know, government controlled thing. So when it comes to decriminalization, I do think we should be looking forward and looking at legalization frameworks and regulation frameworks. And I think that's where Amsterdam is really struggling that they've gone this is decriminalized for 50 years. And like you said, we don't really know what to do next. Because it's been around for quite a while. Like it's always been a big thing in the Netherlands. You know, they're like, you know, there's photographs from the 17th century of guys sitting around where they are clearly like he has got a, some sort of a bong-esque situation in his hand. Apparently they reckon they mixed the tobacco back there in it too. I have read somewhere. But yeah, it's been a ride. It's been like part of the culture here for a long time. And I think that's the difference between elsewhere in the world that's sort of now bringing it in. Like, you know, it's always been here. You know, it was the hemp business first was where it really came from, you know. It's all that way back in the day. And then it wasn't until like uh, 1919 they started sort of bringing laws in around drugs in the country. And that was when they brought in the opium law, Schedule 1, which was like just hard drugs, you know, ones that were coming through at the time. And in 1928, they brought in the Schedule 2 of that, which is where they class soft drugs as cannabis and like sleeping tablets and stuff. But like that was kind of the laws, but it was still very loose living. You know, there's a lot of Moroccans here, so there's a big influx of the Haish and stuff like that there. And it wasn't really until post-World War II that everyone started saying that weed was really bad. And that's when the government kind of had to start doing things to slightly change the picture a little bit, you know, because it was like, it wasn't as much them, it was more society at the time. The Americans had such a massive influence on everyone. And they were like, well, we're going to do this now and this is what we're doing. So they had to like sort of start acting like cannabis was a real bad thing. So in 1953 or so, they made it illegal for a little hot minute and then um it was quite interesting i was a dutch journalist in 1961 then wrote an article talking about how they think it's not as bad as everyone says it is and like the un and the world health Association lost their mind at this and like did all these mad investigations and made all these reports come out that said it was really really bad and then that began like the 60s in the Netherlands where they did crack down really hard on it. And it was after that point where you got to decriminalization because they were just doing reports after reports and just saying we're just wasting energy and time and for soft drugs. It's not really worth it, you know. And that's like, that was their struggle to get to where they got to the point of where they could decriminalize it. And then it was kind of a bit of a free-for-all, which is kind of spiraled it into the situation where it is now you know it's like such an integral part of the economy shall we say the tourism sort of thing but like they can't can't stop it and like there's i don't think there's enough locals here just to smoke weed for it to survive in an industry without the tourists you mentioned there that there was this assessment and realization that they were wasting energy and that that was 60 years ago they identified that and we are still having these same conversations if anything we may have gone backwards with these conversations because if they were saying 60 years ago we are wasting time being fearful of this plant and yet here we are with more science than ever more understanding than ever more anecdotes more opportunity to be intelligent about this and we're still wasting time our lawmakers are still wasting time you know when i look at some of the rules that have come in in amsterdam 
in the last 20 years. You know, they were talking in 2006 about needing to improve them. We're here in 2023 and they haven't changed. It's the same here in Australia. 2016, medical cannabis came along. 2023, there is one state talking about roadside drug testing being discriminatory for cannabis users. So I know politics is slow, but I feel like this is an area where politics is painfully slow and we're so beholden to really conservative ideals. And as you dig a little bit deeper, you start to see the impact of religion on some of these decisions. So I want to first talk about what some of the rules in Amsterdam are and then talk about the weed pass. So in the Netherlands, I understand that the Basically, purchasing cannabis is legal, cultivating it and buying it in wholesale is illegal. So that makes business for the coffee shops really difficult. The legality of cannabis is basically a tolerance policy. It's not legal. It's just tolerated. You can get five grams per day per person and a store can only stock 500 grams of cannabis. You mentioned new rules coming in. In 2008, a rule came in where cannabis stores couldn't be within 250 meters of schools, which by 2014 closed a third of the shops. So this is not a cannabis utopia. It's actually still incredibly regulated despite, you know, just being decriminalized and not legalized. It's not necessarily the best system to be promoting cannabis use. It's still seedy. It's still underground. Exactly. You mentioned that there's advertising restrictions. In one of my episodes, I spoke about how raster iconography is not going to be what normalizes cannabis. And that's not me saying we can't have Rastafarian flags and pictures of Bob Marley. I'm just saying it's not those things that are going to get people into cannabis. And some of these stores really lean on that. I'm not saying that doesn't have a place or isn't culturally significant. It's just not that that's going to normalize it. Cannabis actually has to be boring. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's kind of like, it's an interesting one over here. There's that image of it has been like turned into such a big business. You know, I always think about like, you know, we talked before about like brands and making things. And I mean, you talked about different companies and having different little things that do that. And, you know, there is hundreds of stores here selling grinders and pipes and stuff, but they do not sell any one particular brand because they are too busy selling grinders that say Amsterdam with a weed leaf on them or a Bob Marley ice tray and stuff like that you know like i've been here for three years nearly and i still can't find a grinder that doesn't say amsterdam on top of it (laughs) yeah yeah and that's like we're seeing an elevation in accessories like that's something i really care about like if you have a nice tray a nice grinder a nice little ritual kit again that's going to normalize it for other people yeah, exactly. Whereas over here, it's still like, you know, everything comes in a plastic bag. All the places of all this, you know, just got like in the center, there's just this aura of just tourists just lingering around and, you know, just pushing the boundaries of what they can smoke and stuff like that there. And it just like the image and impression that it gives to people who don't smoke is not a great image at all. They come away from like, you know, just seeing people and like... I was in a lucky position because well, sort of, but on some way lucky when I moved here, it was during COVID. So there was no tourists allowed in Amsterdam or there was some, but it wasn't very busy. So I got to experience the city completely empty and it was so beautiful. And like, I would go into the city center to do things. And now I like, I won't even go close to it unless I really, really, really have to. Cause it's just full of people just like, lads, 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 lads. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's always that like two people sitting next to the water and one's got the water or the other one who's throwing a massive white eat on you can, you can see that on every street corner here so you can so the image that it's created has definitely not like you know and there is 
you know, there's a lot of the rules about it are quite, you know, if you were to take him into force on a decriminalised thing anywhere else in the world, it would be a very strict situation. But the police here, like, you know, most of the police here would be a young police force. So most of them weren't even born when they wrote these rules about it. So it's hard for them to sort of, you know, take that like G.I. Joe cop approach to it and sort of enforce their rules on it. And the thing is, is like, you can read a lot about it. They talk about the levels of tolerance because they also know that it's not worth their time to chase up someone for like, you know, you're not supposed to smoke weed outside, but if they walk past you, they're not going to stop you. What they will do though, is if they walk past four lads who are like, you mean a ruckus and throwing stuff around the place, then they're just going to have a field day on all of you just for something to do, you know? So it's quite a fine balance between it. You know, they're like, they'll boot up with a lot of it. But when it comes to it, like, you know, they'll have a quick go with you. And the main thing here is no alcohol and weed are allowed to be consumed together anywhere on the premises because the Dutch know that that's a real problem is the drinking, you know. A lot of them say it's not the stone tourists that annoy them, it's the drunk tourists that are actually the worst to have. So it's quite good to see they remove those two cultures quite easily here. It's a very reasonable position to have. And I, I have in the past seen documentaries about the Netherlands police force and their kind of harm reduction procedures and their desire to help and support the community rather than punish and restrict. It's the same with uh, growing plants here, you know, like it's illegal to grow plants here, but what they have stated in this is the police guidelines. If they go into your house and you've got five or less plants, they're just going to take them off you, uh, slap on the wrist. They see that as not growing for like you know commercial seal they'll have a look around your place and if you have tools that look like you could be preparing for commercial seal you might be in a little bit more trouble but if they're going to find you before plants they're going to go it's not worth anyone's time to make this a huge big process and they'll just take them off you and give you a fine and that's it and that's in their like rules as police officers you know no one police officer can go into a house and decide that today he's going to interpret the rules something different you know that's their guidelines they go to first and it's a good understanding of it all that's a great start. Like when I'm a critic or an opponent of decriminalization, I'm still willing for it to be a start, but I want it to be a stepping stone. Like in Canberra, for example, you can grow four plants at home as long as two people live there. So two per person up to four. You can possess 30 grams, but you can't give it to anyone. You can't sell it. And there's really intense restrictions on consumption. And I've even heard of one instance where the Australian Federal Police have overridden that and still come in and taken someone's plants because that second person that they lived with wasn't actually tending to them. So these laws can still be so delicate and as great a start as they are, they need to be a step towards a legal framework. So in time, like in Canada, like I could do, I could grow four plants without any worry. That was my prerogative. I'm allowed to do that. I, I once had a cop car parked in the back alley behind my balcony with four plants on display. They are not even looking for that kind of stuff because it's just part of the law. And that's what we really want. It's great that the cops have discretion in the Netherlands, but ultimately we want to get to a stage where growing a couple of plants in your backyard or in a tent in your house is no different than someone brewing their own beer. And most people aren't going to want to do it anyway. Exactly, yeah. Like everyone, they like, big it up like everyone's going to turn their house into some sort of a grow place and be sleeping on their doorstep. Like, yeah, no one's got the time for that ever, you know? No, the same over here, time. you know, I've, I've thought about it before. I've walked past, the, I was with sort of an old lady and she had two plants out in her balcony growing in summer. And I was, you know, sometimes I still walk around here a little bit surprised when I see things. I'm like, you can't do that. I'm like, hold on, it's Amsterdam. <laughs> 
still here now, now she's not weeding. I'm like, oh, Jesus. I'm like, oh, it's Amsterdam. It's okay. But like, you know, that there, she's just natural doing it for herself. We're just growing the only strain she really wants to grow and that's it. No one's going to cause a fuss there. You know what I mean? It's not going to be for anyone else. It's probably going to be quite low grade weed too. She's growing it outside in the balcony. You know what I mean? She's not growing anything crazy. I'm going to circle back to the weed past because this is something you mentioned I wasn't aware of. What is this weed past? What was the aim of it? And, and did it work out? So the weed pass is kind of like, I'll take it back just a little bit before the weed pass to sort of give you an idea, like talking back on like the controlling the rules and stuff like that. They're hard to bring it together. And it wasn't until like, you know, in the, the 90s that the government really had to first were like, we have to do something about the coffee shops. You know what I mean? Because what they'd done in 1979 is they'd made an amendment to the rules for youth club dealers because the young people back then were getting most of it from that, those people. And that was the rule that was pretty much bent in the shape to make the coffee shops. And it, that's what they just went with forever. So they got to the 90s and they were like, we've got to do something else to sort of bit more regulation into this and this is kind of like give people the first you know or oh, we can change it kind of thing and they in Amsterdam they pioneered a thing called the A-H-O-J-G which was it's abbreviated to the different in Dutch but in English it stands for the A was for uh, no advertising kind of have it like low profile warnings H was for no hard drugs the O was for no nuisances it's loitering or like loud noises and stuff like that J was for no underage customers and then G was for the limit of grams to be 30 per person per day. And that was kind of like the benchmark for coffee shops. And then in 1995, they had a report come out that sort of praised how well they'd done with the coffee shops. And they'd actually really could clearly show the difference between separating hard and soft drugs has worked in the youth. And the young people uh, in the Netherlands were addicted to hard drugs. And that was the lowest number anywhere in Europe. So it looked quite good for them. But at the same time, they were also saying that there was a real criminal organization influence starting to come into it and there was lots of things that we had to address to make that so they didn't want to be seen as like this weed export part of the world so they started bringing some more rules in and then that's when they brought in the uh this is 1995 is when they brought in you had to be 18 years old to go to a coffee shop so before that you could be of any age yeah and yeah, yeah. Be- 1995 <laughs> wow it was when they brought yeah yeah when they brought the being 18 in the dutch people you know they just kind of look at it and you know use their mind socially to judge a moment and um and then they dropped it from 30 to 5 grams and they then started talking heavily about the THC and how they bringing down THC was really going to help the problem with it. You know, this is like a good way to regulate it is to drop THC because then people can't sell these strong stuff. And if anything's too strong, we'll put it on the Schedule 1 drug and make it a hard drug. So that kind of led the foundation for a lot of people and to start questioning it and wanting to like, you know, oh, we need to do more and change it. We've done this and that. So in 2010, the big problem people were trying to claim was the issue which is part of it was tourists coming to get weed and it was really starting to affect people and the places that have borders next to Belgium and Germany were complaining the hardest because you know people were coming across this border and now there was restrictions on the weed they had to go to like four or five different cafes to get what they wanted before they could head back so it was causing lots of issues so all these states were like too many people blah 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 you know and good sort of message to twist in that you know, get their message twisted in to try stop the weed. So in 2012, they introduced the weed pass 
and they started it in the towns in the south of the Netherlands and there's a trial which is the closest ones to Belgium which were always complaining about issues but then the Dutch the mayor of Amsterdam he came out and he was just like no we're not doing this in Amsterdam and the reason is if we do this in Amsterdam we're going to start an illegal trade on the streets of drugs that is just going to be uncontrollable and he was right because lots of the places that did do it had that problem appear so there there was a lot of protests in the Netherlands about it and stuff like that it was really starting to affect things and then like you know by 2016 I think it was pretty much everywhere had just given up on it because they were like this is pointless it has only just pushed the trade onto the streets you know there's lots of places that talked about it I've done reports into when they stopped the weed pass you know like a month later there was no one selling illegal drugs on the streets anymore because it was all back to normal business so a lot of like common sense prevailed everyone went that's a stupid law and there's only one place in the Netherlands called Maastricht that still has the law enforced down there and they're like down the south on the border with uh, Belgium and it's the only one place that still has it anywhere legally it's still supposed to be a thing but you know if they were to stop selling weed to tourists tomorrow there would just be a massive collapse in many things so yeah it's been around for a bit but everyone went this is so stupid it's really interesting because it's just another form of prohibition you know just adding another layer for access is going to just funnel people into an illegal market like even as I essentially tell people how relatively easy it is to get onto medical cannabis, particularly because we live in a world that is full of anxiety and insomnia and depression. Like I'm not telling anyone to go and trick the system. I'm just letting them know like, hey, you've probably got something that will get you medical cannabis. And some people are just like, nah, man, it's just still easier to get it from the street. Like, yeah, I know the quality is not as good, but I can't be bothered going to the doctor. I can't be bothered going to the dispensary. It's still just easier. So the barriers do have to be removed. Like if we truly want to affect prohibition, if we truly want to impact the criminal enterprises, we need to make it easier for people to get not harder. And back to that point of make it boring. Don't make it glamorous. Don't make it sexy. Exactly, yeah. It's something that a lot of people use to be functional, you know, to bring them to balance, you know, not just to get high. It's actually to calm you down, lift you up from a bad mood, just to be normal. So politicians don't seem to know people that use cannabis enough to inform their laws. And I think about that criminal influence Amsterdam we're trying to fight. Let someone cultivate it. Like let, yeah, exactly. even if it's yeah. one government organization, let someone cultivate it so there isn't this absolute need for this industry to be boosted by criminal enterprises. There is no way for a coffee shop to operate without doing something illegal. Well, why not make them have to buy their weed from you if you're the government? And that's an interesting thing you pointed out because that is the major like gray area with the situation because the police are cool with it, but legally the sale of a quantity of marijuana to someone is illegal. And, you know, if the cops were to walk in and a coffee shop owner sitting with some guy and buying 500 grams worth of weed, that would be a problem. That would legit, like, probably wouldn't be a, as bad as it would be elsewhere in the world, but you'd have a lot of questions to ask about it. So that's the one area that no one ever really talks about. You know, there's like, you know, a couple of hundred and stuff in coffee shops in the whole of Amsterdam alone, and they all have to get supplied by somewhere. And like, you know, is it the thing about like you come here and that's, it's not a place to come and get educated because most people that work in the stores are either tourists traveling through are just people who are just, you know, just been there forever. And they have no idea what the butt is because it just appears, you know. You can go to four different stores and pick up the same street and it's going to look completely different in every single store on one street over here, you know, because it's all just coming from just different places. And you could imagine these grooms and it would just be cross-pollination central in there. So it, God knows what anything is. 
you're really not getting that bud tender experience that you nah. get in Canada or, you know, and I, I'm going to say controversially perhaps to a lesser extent, the U S just because there's not as much consistency throughout the U S as there is in Canada. And that's something that will make cannabis use more normalized. will make it a better experience. And so it isn't just like, Oh yeah, man, I'm just going to get a joint and I'm going to throw up on the street. It might actually be like, Hey, here's this super high CBD thing, low THC. This will be a really pleasant time. You know, have two puffs, put it back in the container and save it for later. Like that is not a conversation really being had in Amsterdam, right? No, not at all. And like, I often wonder how it will go when it becomes legal, how the locals will interact with it, because the stigma behind it is, it's quite ruined, you know, realistically. Lots of locals will smoke a bit when they're 18, 19 for the sake of something they do, just because it's there. But then they all just grow out of it, purely based off the fact that their main city centre is just full of people throwing a massive whitey and like realistically buying not great weed and just making an absolute wreck of the joint. Like there's no one there to talk about it in a relaxing way for the end of the day. You know, you couldn't, I've been thinking like, you know, when they bring it in legal here, but they're going to have to do something quite drastic with the tourists if they want to turn it into a proper business. You're going to have, because there's a lot of people who just instantly have this image in their head. You know, a lot of people that come from England who just like, you know, live for that trip to Amsterdam, you know what I mean? And it's going to be interesting to see how society takes it in, you know, like a restaurant that specializes in fused food and stuff like that. I think that would have a really hard time getting a start here for quite a few years. You know, it's going to be a rather large seismic shift required. <laughs> One of the things you mentioned is the THC limit. Now, I'm a big advocate for quality cannabis being quality cannabis irrespective of THC, but I understand that in the Netherlands, there is a limit at 15%. And I'm going to be honest, there's a lot of great cannabis you're missing post 15%. Like, you know, I've had some really great things from, you know, 4%, 11%, 15%, specifically. Like, I remember those three things. There's not a lot of great stuff out there under that threshold so what's the deal with that oh I th yeah it's the thing and like so it's 50 cap to 15 percent and the thing is apparently by law the police can go in and be like we would like to check the quality of it and they can take someone to go oh, check it so a lot of the coffee shops know that so they will aim to buy lower quality ganj purely based off the fact because it's not it's not them selling it that's the issue it's them giving it to a couple of people who are going to make an absolute ruckus to the situation outside and get caught with it in their pocket and then it's going to be back on the store so like in the city center you know like there's so many places selling weed and you buy it and you look at it and you just like this looks like tea like you know <laughs> it's a real thing so i've been like Outside the city centre, there's a couple of places that I've found that have some stuff that I would really question it being lower than 15% or like getting a lot closer to, you know, it's a bit more real and it's a bit more removed from the picture, you know, and it's always really consistent at those places and that's the benefit of going outside of the city. Inside the city, you know, there's people that are selling buds saying that they're part of the Cali community and they're part of this company and chained with this company and stuff. And I've smoked that in California and I've smoked it here. All I've done is wasted more money over here and something that's definitely not... <laughs> anywhere close to the calling well you sent me that picture of that menu where we're talking about like 45 or 40 euro grams which is 65 australian dollars for a gram for one of something that's growing in amsterdam <laughs> and is nowhere near the thc level and then in that same store they sell cali weed i think it was five grams for like 112 euros or something like that there and yeah, I know it's absolutely ridiculous, and that's the thing, man. And this, like, all of this weed, you could, like people just go and they'll just instantly buy because all these cafes are little, like, they're all quite dark and dingy in the inside. It always reeks of ganj, and people are just like lost in the ore of it. But lots of people don't realize that they're buying weed that is nowhere near the quality that it's supposed to be. They eat all these, like, you know, wet, like I remember buying the wedding cake that we had in BC, and I was in theater. It's real good, bud, and it's one of my favorites. 
and I will when I'm out in the boat if I see someone with wedding cake I'll get a bit to try it and I'm still yet to get anything that even comes close to what that quality of that was man and like it's really inconsistent like you know you you can go to so many stores and everything looks so completely different and and the thing is no one knows nobody has any idea I've tried to speak to people at shops and stuff they've got no idea what percentages or what's what and what's crossed with what and stuff like that so yeah it used to be a really big cool thing to come to somewhere and just be like oh there's a menu you can get some stuff but then when American Canada and stuff started putting it into that perspective you look at it now you look at it it's very dated very quickly so it did I'm really glad you mentioned BC there because that wedding cake still I still think about that. That was from a brand called Quest. Premium cannabis in Canada, top shelf BC bud. Absolutely outstanding stuff. And I think that's a great little segue to kind of compare your experience. You know, what are your observations? As as a man who has no real stock in either place, like, yes, you live in Amsterdam, but you're not from there. You don't live in Canada. As a cannabis tourist, which place would you really gravitate towards? If you're a tourist who's just traveling through Europe and you just want to have a little bit of cannabis one day as a little trip, Amsterdam is a good little spot to go to so you can blend in with the scenery. But if you legitimately are a smoker and you want to go and be like, oh, I want to travel and have some nice bud and stuff, like you need to go to somewhere like BC because it's just like the quality of it's growing that way. The culture of it has been growing into them that way. You know, they are to some degree, it's, you know, it's a bit of a corporational product thing, but that does help give it that edge of people wanting to inform you rightly and, you know, help get their products and stuff whereas here it's just like you know it's a whole bunch of really shifty looking moroccan guys selling weed in dodgy cafes that's <laughs> <laughs> a very different that, culture instead you yeah. came to bc and had a shifty looking australian dude so you can't so. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i've been like and i've been through all of american stuff and seen it where it's legal lure and all that sort of that culture too and over that and like seen it from different views in different ways and it, like it's so much more educational and it's been accepted so much for society whereas here you know like the, the funniest thing is my one of my favorite uh, coffee shops to go to here i like it a lot because it does feel quite dodgy i still feel like i'm doing something illegal when i win there because <laughs> the guy's up to heaps of shifty stuff he's got like blocks of high shit in his pocket that isn't on the menu and stuff like that you know i get a whole bunch of bud that no one else gets off because i've been there so often and that's i still like that appeal to it but i'd like you know i'd I really like a different sort of whole perspective change to be a bit more like it is over in BC. There's one chain of stores here that's trying to do the thing and they've got like the shop layout they've got all the displays and stuff but they just haven't got the product to put into the display so you right. go in there and you're just like oh you're still just selling the same shit everyone yeah, else is selling but yeah. your store looks really cool but you haven't got like you know you've just put that shitty weed in a box <laughs> yeah yeah you've polished the turd here really yeah yeah so that's kind of how i view it you know there's no there's a couple of little cool cafes you can go to because technically here they're all like actual physical cafes you can go get a coffee and get some food. That's not something you do in BC, you know, go into somewhere and some guy's got like melted cheese off his hands. He's selling you some weed. Some places, like I'll take a Sharpie with me and I'll go out and get some different stuff because most places won't even write on the bag with the mail. <laughs> you just see like five tourists getting like 12 different strains of weed and then they get there and they're just like looking at all these bags and I'm like, you've got no idea what any of that weed is. <laughs> you mentioned something that I do want to kind of clarify a little bit and that is that legal regulated cannabis is very corporate. Like you mentioned that about Canada. Like this is ultimately legal regulated framework does result in mega corporations making mega bucks. Like that is a reality. But my mission is normalization of cannabis. And I have to accept that part of that is that some fat cat is going to make a bunch of money doing this. But that's because I want my 74-year-old mom to be able to go into a store and buy a CBD roll-on and not have to fight for or take a Sharpie to a shop to get the crappiest buds that might help her or not. And that's the trade-off I'm willing to make. Yes, Canada is corporate as hell, 
but it means that more people have access to it. Yeah, I definitely think it does help, like having that sort of corporate appeal to it really does open it up a lot more. Like I think it'd be interesting to see what happens over here because, you know, Germany could potentially be the first ones to do it and that's going to open this whole thing. And if that happens, it's going to like really date it here. And like, you know, I've been thinking about it, like, you know, if we were to go legal, would all these little stores that accept cash only be ready to go to a legal bud? I don't think so, you know, I mean, lots of these places you go to like, there's a lot of really dodgy stuff still going on in these stores, just tucked out of the way now over here, you know. It's not really a great experience, but there's places in the city that will lie to you too and be like, oh yeah, we are this and we're that and we're this and we're that. I'm like, you are literally just paying like 20% extra for the exact same gang you get out somewhere with someone who's probably going to slightly know a little bit more. You mentioned the hash scene. Now, hash at a very kind of small place in the marketplace in Canada. A lot of like older guys really loved hash. What's the kind of status of hash in Amsterdam? Like, is it still something that's heavily used, heavily preferred? And I'm wondering if it circles back to our conversation about tobacco a little bit. Because my understanding is you generally sprinkle hash through a you know, bit of tobacco to make it burn better, right? Yeah, pretty much. And I think that's a lot of locals find the appeal of that because they can just put a little bit in and just have it a little like cigarette walking around and stuff. You know, a lot of the older people you see walking around smoking cigarettes every now and then you get a waft of hash from it. And you're like, oh, and so that's like a big thing. And you know, they sell lots of pre-mixed hash joints in the city and they are just rough as guts, man. Like I've smoked one before. Like it's just not worth it for that little bit of hash that's in there. But it's still a very large cultural thing. You know, lots of the cafes I'll go to around here, like 90% of the people that are in there don't buy bud like just buy hash it's like it's quite an interesting change like i grew up with a lot of hash in ireland so when i come here like every now and then i get like a fancy and i'll try a little bit but i'm just like yeah fuck that man i've got some really nice buds sitting here i'll just smoke that instead <laughs> yeah that is the typical thing that seems to be like hash is way more discreet and kind of appeals to that generation that wants it to just be subtle you know i'm smoking a cigarette on the job yeah. site and there's just that little hint of spice as that bit of hash hits but then oh no it's it's just a tobacco cigarette guys yeah exactly you can't tell what's in there <laughs> we are going to circle back to kind of what's going on in europe and what some of your observations of that are before we do that i want to play a game now this is not a little game this is a multi-round game how do you feel about playing along with me oh uh, yeah looking forward to it there we go <laughs> well this is a three-part <laughs> quiz the first part is made up of questions about your life as a roadie. You know, I'm really generalizing your greater description as a sound engineer, but, you know, for the average person, you're a roadie. Part two is questions about Belfast, and part three is a rapid-fire quiz that many of our listeners will be familiar with. So let's go with round one, the roadie round. Let's do this. Question one. What does the term feeding the fish mean? Eating dinner, throwing guitar picks to the audience, or getting drunk? I would say throwing picks to the audience. That is correct. Question two. Which heavy metal band honored their roadies with a song called We Are The Road Crew? Was it Black Sabbath, Spinal Tap, or Motorhead? Ooh, that's a good question. I want to say Spinal Tap for a laugh. Mm. No. That is incorrect. That that was the red herring, that answer. It was actually Motorhead because Lemmy, the front man of Motorhead, used to be a roadie for Jimi Hendrix. So definitely kind of understood that brotherhood and understood the importance. Ah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Question three. In roadie slang, what is a cable rat? Somebody who manages cables, a crew chief, or a rat that eats cables? Somebody who manages cables. 
And I think that's something you've done plenty of in your time, right? For years and years and years <laughs> of my life, I've been that person. <laughs> Still on some good days. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question four. This is the last one for the roadie round. What is a God mic? Is it a large microphone? A microphone that allows crew to communicate with artists and each other or a wireless microphone? Uh, it would actually be a microphone that's plugged into the PA so they can make announcements if something was wrong with the geek. Well, none of my options were actually <laughs> correct there, so that's correct yeah, yeah. for you. It's <laughs> this is what happens when I look up shitty quiz sites. Like, seriously, I looked up roadie questions and there were so many that were just absolute garbage. This was the best I could do. This is why it's a multi-round yeah. quiz because none of the roadie ones were good enough to carry the whole quiz. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to give you three out of four there. Well done. Let's move on to okay. the Belfast round. Oof. Question one of the Belfast round. Belfast is home to Ireland's tallest building, the Hastings Grand Central. How tall is it? 69 meters, 85 meters, 120 meters. 65 meters. Wasn't even one of the options. It was 69 because I've got the brain 69. of a 15 year old. The correct answer is 85 meters. Uh, I see. And I believe that's 27 stories high. Good on you, Belfast. Mm -hmm. Next question in the Belfast round. What is the symbol of Belfast? A potato cake, a seahorse, or a regular horse? Ooh, that is a really good question. I have no idea. I'm going to say seahorse. <laughs> that is correct. There's like, I mean, I'm not from there, man. You are. But there's a big giant seahorse like right in the middle of town in a roundabout. So lucky yeah, you yeah. got that one. You might have been disowned. <laughs> I left a long time ago. True or false? Led Zeppelin first played Stairway to Heaven in Belfast. Ooh. False? It is Ooh. true. Stairway to Heaven was performed for the first time at Ulster Hall in Belfast in 1971. Oh, well, there you go. All right, last question of the Belfast round. Which of these is not one of Belfast's sister cities? Haifi, China, Nashville, USA, or Bendigo, Australia? China one, I think. Bendigo, oh, Australia. Terrible. I chucked my hometown Bendigo. in there to throw you I off. I was just through. I was just like, there's a lot of Irish in Australia. I'll just leave it in there. See what happens. <laughs> All right. The last part of our quiz is hotboxing. It's our 60 second countdown. Rapid fire, short answer questions. Let's do this thing. In which country have you found the best cannabis? Uh, it's probably been in the States. In which country have you found the worst cannabis? Ooh, some really questionable stuff in Australia and or really early days in Ireland. Indica, sativa or hybrid? Indica. Flower or edibles? Flower. Favourite place to consume cannabis? Out in a bit of a nature walk, out in the forest, just a bit of a stroll, it's a big thing to do here. What is a country where you would never consume cannabis? I'd say most of Asia, like Singapore, China, stuff like that. The rule's a bit too strict for my liking. What's worse, dropping a full grinder of weed on the ground or not having a lighter? Ah, uh, no lighter. Back to a hotel room many a time and cried about no lighter. <laughs> What's the best band you've toured with? Uh, it would be Worst band you've toured with? Oh, I hate Oh, they're horrible. Yeah, absolute garbage. <laughs> and lucky last, describe your perfect 420. Uh, having a good selection of some buds to pick from, some good people to hang out with, and some like nice foods and coffees. Very nice, very nice. You did very well on that quiz, man. I threw you off with a couple of questions there. Thank you for playing. No worries. 
All right. As we kind of head towards the tail end of the show, what I want to kind of check in on is what have you seen in the rest of Europe? You mentioned Germany before the quiz. They're getting to this stage where they're really looking like they're going to legalize it. They're going to have some of those restrictions like the THC limit, which will be a little bit prohibitive and won't necessarily meet the needs of the people. But it is a start. And even the EU has kind of given them the green light to go ahead, which seemed to be a big roadblock once upon a time. So what have you seen as you've traveled around different parts of Europe? What's the state of cannabis in other countries? Uh, it's interesting. In general, across the board, I would say cannabis is very well tolerated across most of Europe. Like, you know, I've got no issues smoking a joint outside anywhere in Europe. You know, like in America, even if the state is legal to smoke, you know, a lot of places, it's illegal to be outside smoking. I'm not fucking with those guys. So it's quite interesting over here. You know, there's, I've never had an issue going somewhere and being like, oh, I shouldn't be smoking weed here. Everyone's totally chill with it. It was quite interesting that the EU did sort of green light Germany. I had foreseen them doing a good solid round of like oh questions and stuff because they just they love paperwork here you know <laughs> there's heaps of them in that right they cannot get enough of it so i was a little bit surprised and it'll be interesting to see how that lays the foundation because a good first place is in spain you know like technically it's not legal and medical cannabis is also not legal in spain but in like barcelona and a few places and stuff they have what they call cannabis clubs and it's kind of got the same sort of government approach to it as the coffee shops here but the difference is you can't just rock in as a tourist you have to go with someone who is a member and they will sign you up as a member under their name so i've been a couple of times with a few people there and it's quite chill it's nice it's out of the way it's not in your face they'd rather you smoke the weed but you consume there than leave with some of the stuff you know sometimes the police do stand outside and try to arrest people as they come out but that's kind of i like how it's a very local you know it's kept to the locals there you know it's not having just thrown their arms open the tourists everywhere it's still you know, still quite, you can still smell weed everywhere in Spain. It's quite, you know, anywhere where it's really that sunny, it's going to be a big thing, you know. Same in France. It's illegal in France, but it's Paris just reeks of ganj constantly. <laughs> and then, like, Portugal, another good place where it's not legal, but it's kind of decriminalized to the point of where they're sort of, you know, they're not going to, less than 20 grams, they're not going to cause a fuss about it, kind of thing like that. But there's also an approach to all of their drugs there that they have sort of gone for where they're trying to look at it in a better condition, sort of thing. So it has led to to a lot of people selling stuff on the street but those people selling stuff on the street are generally selling like some form of tea or like you know something rolled up and they've got like one tiny little bit of weed they'll confuse you with so that's a definitely a market has been claimed there but they've got lots of really good cbd stores in portugal so you can go buy some nice flour and stuff like that from them so it's quite cool but there's a lot of places sort of like look at it in a different way because medical cannabis is quite common across europe you know 2018 they started the uh what was it called? The Medical Cannabis Europe was launched then, which is kind of to help regulate the situation for everyone, to help bring the picture in a bit better. If you know, because you know, the Netherlands 2003 started medical cannabis, but it's a very closed network, and they wanted to sort of help put the foundations in for that. Because there's certain places like Ireland is a good example. You know, medical cannabis use is only based per purpose per situation, and there's been lots of like high stories in the news about people not being able to get medication for their children and stuff because the Irish government or the UK government has stepped in and like a really silly clause. So there's a lot of that old school thinking still embedded in the picture, which is going to be a hard one to shake, I reckon. So it'll be interesting to see when the Dutch Germans do come out because they also have the problem with Bavaria where they're just like, oh, we're not doing this. We're not doing this at all. And the Germans will find a solution to that. I think most people are just waiting around for the Germans. To, like Tom, you had on before, said, you know, everyone's just waiting around for the Germans to do the paperwork. Yeah. And then <laughs> jump on board 
Yeah, and that was a great episode. <laughs> Only a couple of episodes ago, Tom Rootmeyer, aka Tom Different, who is a German-born guy who now lives and works in BC and has been enveloped by cannabis much like I have and has taken it to a whole other level. But that's a really great listen, that episode, because he does really talk about that hypocrisy between cannabis and booze. You know, just politicians will stand Wild. there and say, we will not legalize cannabis. We're not doing it. And they'll literally be shit-faced in the background at Oktoberfest. Yeah, exactly. It's and like I definitely grew up like you know in Ireland drinking such a massive culture. Like I would, I really don't like drinking anymore. You know, I'll have like one glass of wine with a nice dinner and stuff. I had two beers the other night and I had a hangover for the next day. You know what I mean? I'm just totally growing out of it. And even here, I'd still feel like as much as it's a thing, people would still local people would still be a bit like, oh Jesus, he's smoking a joint at a party instead of having a drink. Whereas you know. It's a bit weird, whereas you go to Ireland, you know, it's just like assumed that you're going to drink when you get there. It's just a given, you know what I mean? And if I was to turn around and be like, no, I'm going to roll a joint and smoke that, I might as well be asking for a spoon to shoot up heroin in the living room, you know what I mean? <laughs> the premise is that it's on, you know? And that's like, that's a big thing in Europe. Like over here, it's a bit better, but the drinking culture, they can be a bit more like have one drink, but, you know, and then go home and respect it kind of thing. But then it's also a massive party culture and just getting totally trashed on it sort of stuff. So it's interesting to see what everyone's approach to it will be because that is such a big culture here drinking and like you have to change a lot of opinions well it's been really great to have you on the show because you have a perspective you know we obviously have this relationship together where we've shared many cannabis experiences but it's been great as we grow up and as we are on other sides of the world to still stay in touch and know what's going on for the other because this is evolving and changing where amsterdam was at a few years ago is different to where they're at now where australia is at has changed in a year in 18 months you know even in the time since i've been home from canada things have gotten better here so it's great to have these conversations and to connect find out what's going on around the world understand the challenges and understand what to get excited about so as we hit the end of the show adrian what is your pall of wisdom what is your one key takeaway for the listener snappy easy dinner party fact about cannabis you got to enjoy it a lot more if you smoke it straight my man <laughs> that's, it, that's it you know it's only one way everyone complains about it being expensive and stuff just find a better way to smoke it. get a little pipe just have a little bit of weed you know what i mean if you really have to mix it with something there is other things to mix it with especially if you don't smoke cigarettes do not put tobacco in there you're just robbing yourself of a good time this is a podcast intervention for those listeners still mixing with tobacco. We still love you. We still respect you, but please just think long and hard about it. Is it worth mixing? There are so many ways to consume cannabis healthily these days. Dry herb vaporizers, little one hitters, little pipes, oils, edibles, all these ways. Please take your tobacco out. I love that ball of wisdom, man. It has been an absolute pleasure to share this time with you again. You are a dear friend and I look forward to staying in touch with you, finding out how things get better over in Europe and looking forward to catching up with you in person next time we get the opportunity. Yeah, definitely, man. Thanks heaps for having me on. It's been a real pleasure and I'm looking forward to listening to more, see what's going on. Yeah, one day I'll drag you to all these shitty cafes and I'll make you pay that top price. <laughs> Can't wait, man. We'll listen to some Bob Marley. We'll grind up with some Amsterdam branded grinders exactly. and we'll have a sweet yeah, time. Yeah. Take it easy, man. Yeah, cheers, man. Give and Tote Cannabis Conversations is written and produced by me, Paul. Music written and produced by Big Mike. Follow us on Instagram at Give and Toke or get in touch by emailing giveandtoke at gmail.com. You'll also find us on both Twitter and Facebook. All opinions expressed by program guests are solely their current opinions and do not necessarily reflect the position of Give and Toke. Content discussed in this show does not constitute medical advice. Cannabis is not legal everywhere, so please be aware of local laws. 